Magnus Podcast, episode 33, the 33rd Canto with Anthony Esselin. Hey, welcome back, everybody, to the Magnus Podcast, a production of the Albertus Magnus Institute. With your help, we are dedicated to liberating the liberal arts. It's great to have you here, and thanks for thanks for listening. Thanks for your reviews. In a world where everybody has a podcast, you could very well be listening to your own podcast right now. Instead, you've chosen to listen to ours, and that means the world to us. So thanks for spreading the word about our little work here. And uh, thanks for making it possible, because you do that. So uh, in today's episode, it's actually kind of coincidental, kind of providential. But uh, this 33rd episode of this podcast is is going to be a lecture from Dr. Anthony Esselin on the 33rd canto of Dante's Paradiso. So this is from the eighth class that Esselin uh, taught in the Magnus Fellowship. Really beautiful uh, series of lectures and, and a great... Um, great group of fellows uh, studying together, and you're going to hear in in uh, after this lecture, you're going to hear some great discussion. We even had a cameo student, I guess you could say, sort of Easter egg uh, from uh, Dale Alquist. He was a student fellow in this class. We are going to be making him, not making him, inviting him to be a, a senior fellow so he can teach uh, some of his own courses in in the Magnus Fellowship. Um, to my knowledge, we're waiting for his people to get back to our people, but I, but I think it's going to, I think it's going to, I think it's going to be okay. I think, I think, I think he's on board. We'll see. So, uh, and with that, uh, we've got a lot of exciting things in store. You can look on the website, magnusinstitute.org. Check out some of the new classes we're going to be offering in the summer and fall. I'm going to rattle off a few of these here, a tour of Euclid's elements, an introduction to the study of logic. Flannery O'Connor, writer, prophet, and apologist. Milton's Paradise Lost. Of course, uh, this might or might not be taught by Anthony Esselin himself. It actually will be taught by Anthony Esselin himself. Finally, Rene Girard's Theater of Envy with Dr. Patrick Downey. Do go to the website, see who's teaching the others. You're going to be surprised. You're going to be impressed. You're going to want to become a fellow today at magnusinstitute.org. And I should mention a very special and timely summer class taught by the great Dr. Timothy Ferlin, uh, called Bioethics and Aquinas. So don't miss that one. It's actually going to be a special four-week session in the month of June, Bioethics and Aquinas with Dr. Timothy Ferlin. MagnusInstitute.org for more. Become a fellow today. Uh, and one more thing. You're going to notice here that, that we're leaving you this, this little teaser with the, uh, the parody. So we gave you a few episodes from the Inferno, and you're saying, hey, where's Esalen on the Purgatorio. And I say, well, that's on our website, available only to fellows, and you can become one today if you want. Um, the podcast, we do sort of put out a small fraction of what we're doing in the fellowship itself, but really, all the action is happening on the inside, on uh, on our bleeding edge virtual campus. And bleed it does sometime, but we are really having a great time there. And you'll have a great time, too, if you join us at magnusinstitute.org. Apply today. It is as free as it is freeing. Really is a great time. Without further ado, here is the final lecture in Dr. Anthony Esselin's course in the Magnus Fellowship, 
commemorating the 700th anniversary of Dante's birth. This is the final course from Into the World Beyond, and it's on the uh, the Paradiso, Canto 33. And Thomas Aquinas, pray for St. Bernard of Clairvaux. Pray for us. Pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, so I, I made an executive decision earlier today. I said to myself, I'm going to do something. Um, for this last class, I'm going to do something uh, perhaps unusual and different. Um, and I hope that it'll be all right. Uh, and that we'll be talking in our second hour about those parts of the Paradiso that I will not have mentioned in the lecture. But I thought that we, just to make sure that we get there, we would begin with Canto 33, okay? And what I'm going to do is to, uh, I, mean, I only have, uh, you know, whatever time I have. I mean, I don't have a year, so I can't do justice to this final Canto. Um, but what justice I can do to it in the time allotted, I'll try. Um, going through it, uh, verse by verse or tercet by tercet, okay? So we go straight to Canto 33. Um, now, it is, of course, Canto 33, uh, because that is the number of Christ, right? Of the traditional number of years, uh, we believe Christ was upon earth. And Dante has used 33 as a structuring principle in the Divine Comedy, just as he's used three as a structuring principle in the form of his verse, right? We have tercets and the interlocking rhymes uh, called terzerima, where um, you basically are, unless you're at the very beginning, so at the very end, you are rhyming three times, you are rhyming in triplets, right? Rhyming twice upon a previous word, so you get three uh, sentences uh, uh, rhyming it with the same sound. Um, the uh, uh, the canto begins in an unusual way. Um, it's the only canto uh, that really begins after another canto um, hasn't quite ended. Okay, um, canto thirty two ends in mid sentence, so to speak. I mean, it ends with a complete thought, but you would punctuate it not with a period, but with a colon. Okay. As if there's there's there is no pause between Canto 32 and the beginning of Canto 33. The speaker is Saint Bernard of Clairvaux. Um, that's perfect for Dante in several ways. First, uh, Bernard was Bernard was a reformer, uh, so that is uh, uh, you know that that fits in with Dante's intent. Okay, um, when the Benedictines at Cluny uh, became too wealthy because because uh, that was a problem with monasteries. They got so successful at what they did that they got wealthy. Um, and when they got wealthy, then, uh, you know, some troubles might might uh, begin to pop up. And, and so you had offshoots of the various orders. And the Cistercians were an offshoot of the Benedictines at Cluny. Um, they, and they were known for the uh, uh, relative severity of their lives um, and their zeal their reformist zeal, not just for their order, but for the entire church. Um, Bernard is also appropriate for Dante because uh, he represents here um, not theology proper, that is, the use of reason to discuss those truths revealed um, by God in Revelation, um, but rather mystical vision. So we, we've got a, 
we've got a mystic here. Um, and that vision is beyond the scope of uh, discursive reasoning, even if the reasoning in question is theological. Um, the third reason why he's appropriate is that he had a special devotion to the Virgin Mary. Um, his sermons on uh, the Song of Songs, his sermons on Mary are, uh, you know, classics of medieval um, medieval allegorical interpretation, medieval uh, uh, spirituality. Um, so it's, uh, I mean, it's fascinating that we've got here. We've got essentially the uh, another guide. And if we think of the guides um, in this way, that is the people, uh, not just who are showing Dante things, because then we've got, we've got a variety of people do that. Uh, but the main person or the only person in Dante's presence, okay, um, when he is here or there in the Divine Comedy, then this would be the third guy, okay, after Virgil and after Beatrice. And in some ways he is, um, and in many ways people say, well, he's, a, he's an augmentation of Beatrice. Um, he builds, just as Beatrice builds where Virgil left off, so Bernard, so to speak, to stretch it a little bit, builds where Beatrice left off. And in fact, this you see the same kind of motif happen um, and in roughly the same place in the canticle where Dante turns and expects to see somebody and see somebody else uh, instead or the, the person he expects to see is not there. So that, that happened in uh, Purgatory 30. Dante is now in the presence of Beatrice. He hasn't seen her face yet, but she's there. And he turns to Virgil. And it's that famous moment where, you know, we get Virgil named three times in a single tercet. Um, right now, though, uh, because I mean, that was that was sad. That was poignant because we know where Virgil's going. Um, this here, though, uh, is a shock to Dante for, for a different reason. It, it's not Beatrice, but an old and venerable man, right? But in some ways, he's also like Virgil. I mean, they're both male. And um, they, I, I want to suggest in a funny way, uh, St. Bernard here, okay, who did compose the occasional hymn, all right, uh, St. Bernard is in this poem a poet, right? Um, he's not just, it's not just that his speech is being reported to us in poetic form, essentially what the beginning of this prayer is uh, by St. Bernard. Um, that beginning is a hymn. It's a hymn to the Virgin Mary. Um, so, uh, so we have now a poet, okay? Um, virgin mother, daughter of your son. Virgine madre, filia de tu filio. Um, in one line, okay, what we've got are connected to uh, great mysteries that seem paradoxical, if not uh, uh, violating human logic or you know, violating the evidence of our senses. That there should be a virgin mother uh, is linked here with that there could be a daughter of a son, right? Um, and the, uh, the paradoxical nature of it, uh, the miraculous nature of it is emphasized in the Italian in a way that it can't be in English because the words filia and filio, um, you know, filia, daughter, filio, son, uh, are almost the same. We don't have that in English, okay? 
uh, figlia del tuo figlio, umile e alta più che creatura. Um, in another paradox, she is humbler than any other created being. Therefore, she is exalted higher than any other created being. And it's not merely as a consequence, not merely as a consequence of her humility that she is exalted. Um, the very humility is itself the exaltation. Of course, Dante is thinking about what Jesus says. Um, he who humbles himself shall be exalted. Uh, we remember here in this, in this line that Mary was given to us as the pattern of humility, the prime virtue that we saw at the beginning of purgatory proper, at the beginning where, you know, before the first uh, terrace, the terrace of the, the proud, okay? Um, the fulcrum of the everlasting plan, an almost impossible line to, to uh, translate. Termine fisso, de terno concilio. So um, God has a council, uh, a plan which is beyond time, and it is immutable. It is eternal, right? And as partaking of that immutable and eternal concilio, there is a fixed term, all right? Um, that's, that's a very strange thing. Um, translated here as fulcrum, that is the point upon which all others depend, um, the, the turning point, okay? Um, think here, of the pole star in the sky, right? Um, Dante believed, um, you know, everybody who looked at the heavens um, believed, right, that there was that star, Polaris, fixed above the northern um, pole, right, that all the other stars revolved about that fixed term. Mary here is presented as that kind of lodestar or pole star, all right? That's the star to navigate by if you're in the north, if you're in northern waters, because you can tell your latitude from its height above the sky. Everything turns about it, but it does not move. You are she who ennobled human nature so highly that its maker did not scorn to make himself the creature of his creature. Okay. And um, there again is paradox. How can you be the creature of your creature? Um, the uh, the phrase humana natura is significant here. Um, in Dante's view of um, uh, following St. Anselm, why it was appropriate um, for, uh, for Christ to be crucified, to suffer death as the penalty for human sin, um, Beatrice mentions that um, a Christ himself as a person was innocent. It was human nature that was corrupted by sin. Human nature had paid the price, right? Um, and we all share this same nature, not as something that, uh, you know, uh, we all breathe the same air or we all drink the same water, um, but there really is a human nature, an immaterial um, form for human beings. And that needs to be saved needs also to be saved. So um, the human nature is made noble again, all right? Um, and its uh, creator did not disdain to make itself, did not scorn to make itself the creature of his creature. That's an echo of the Te Deum, all right? Um, uh, 
in order to save man, okay, uh, thou didst not abhor the virgin's womb, right? Uh, you didn't react in abhorrence or, or scorn um, of the womb of the virgin. And uh, Dante, with that in mind, says that God did not scorn to make himself the creature of his creature. In your womb was the flame of love reborn. In the eternal peace of whose warm ray, this flower has sprung and is so richly grown. Nel ventre tu si racese l'amore. And there's that crucial word, love. Per lo cui caldo nell'eterna pace, così germinato questo fiore. So many of the words in this final canto of paradise resume and culminate or bring to their bring to their conclusion, bring to fulfillment motifs that have been woven through the whole poem. All right. Um, and uh, here we have uh, behind this tercet, the idea of a garden. Okay. Um, there is germination here. Um, it's hard to get that word across in uh, an English translation, but germinato means that um, a seed has fallen into the ground, a seed is in the ground, and the seed germinating um, has gone from being only potentially alive to actually alive at germination. Um, you should here be thinking about wor- the words in Genesis chapter one, all right? When God made the world and God caused the, um, the plants of the earth and the trees those that bear their seed within them, okay, uh, within their fruit um, to, to spring, all right? Um, this is the Mary as a garden, and Mary as a, a new garden of Eden. And that is typical in Christian iconography, especially medieval iconography. Mary's womb is the enclosed garden of uh, the Song of Songs. My, my beloved is a garden enclosed. Um, well, so so she is here. Um, for you, for us, you are the torch of the noonday of charity. Below, you are the spring of ever living hope for men that die. Qui se noi meridiana faccia di caritate, jus intramortali, sei di speranza, fontana di pace. So much here, so much condensed into single words, single phrases. Fontana di pace. Um, you are a, 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 a spring, okay? Fontana di pace has got to recall uh, John chapter five, it is, with the Samaritan woman at the well. Uh, I bring you living water. She is a living fountain, okay? And um, the word speranza, of course, is crucial. We, we've heard it for a long time in this poem. Um, Lasciat ogni speranza voi contrate. That's the final sentence on the gates of hell. Abandon all hope, you who enter here. Well, she is the wellspring of hope for mortal men, for people who die. Donna, uh, lady. What a wonderful word that is. Um, the first person described as a donna in the poem is... Beatrice, Beatrice, by Virgil, uh, a, a donna came to me, and she was so beautiful. Um, I asked her for the grace of the command. Well, now here we get the final donna, 
Uh, this is Mary herself. Uh, so great you are, such strength you bring. Who does not run to you and looks for grace, his wish would seek to fly without a wing. And um, and again, we have the motif, though this is going to continue as the canto goes on, of flight, right? Um, I felt my feathers growing for the flight, Dante says, in purgatory. As he goes up the mountain, he becomes stronger and stronger. At the very top of the mountain, um, when he's been liberated from the effects of all the deadly sins, he's ready, ready to go. I felt my feathers growing for the flight. Um, well, uh, he says here, without calling upon Mary, if you wish to rise, it'd be like being a bird without a wing. Um, the next tercet resumes something that we've seen at the very beginning of the poem. Not only does your kindness come to brace our courage when we beg, la tua benignità non por soccorre chi domanda, ma molte fiate, often. Your free favor arrives before our prayers race. The Socorre there recalls uh, all the way back in um, Canto 2 of Inferno, uh, when Virgil has done talking about why he's there to meet Dante, to help him, um, who he talked to, namely Beatrice. Who sent Beatrice? Okay. Um, Dante uses the word socorso, meaning help, succor. Okay. Oh, here it is back again. Um, and the idea is here that very often um, Mary is the means of God's prevenient grace, right? Um, she comes to help us before we even ask her. And that's exactly what happened to Dante at the beginning home. Dante was seen as lost. Mary appealed to Lucy. Lucy appealed to Beatrice. Beatrice appeals to Virgil. Um, in te misericordia, in te pietate, in te magnificenza, in te saruna quantunquen creature di bontate. In you is mercy, in you is piety, in you magnificence, in you the sum of excellence in all things that come to be. In te, in te, in te, in te. Um, and uh, the, that series of te, right here, four of them, um, after the preposition should recall again um, the, the, the words over the gates of hell, right? Per me, si va nelle città dolente. Per me, right? Through me, through me, through me. Per me, per me, per me. Uh, we might recall the words of Statius, per te poeta fui, per te cristiano, to Virgil. You made, in, through you I became a poet, through you I became a Christian. Well, now it's in the, in the, in the, in you, in you, in you. With the um, a wonderful uh, virtue of magnificenza, which means the uh, capacity to, um, uh, fulfilled capacity, right? The, the doing of great things, okay? Um, so, uh, from lines one through 21, I think we can consider this to be a poem. This is a hymn. Uh, it's, it's composed and put on Bernard's lips. 
as if he sung it out spontaneously. This pilgrim who is witness coming from the lowest pool of all the universe, the lives of soul and soul in every realm, now bends his knee to you to gain such force by grace that he may lift his eyes the higher unto his final healing and its source. And uh, there we have an echo of what Virgil said to Cato at the bottom of Mount Purgatory. I've shown this person the lives of all those souls steeped in crime. Now I should like to show him those souls who are under your custody. Favor his coming. Right? Um, well, Bernard says, he has seen the lives of all these spirits. Now show him. Okay. Um, uh, but uh, now show him by grace. And it's not just let him see new souls, but let him look upon God. Okay. And again, we've got kneeling. Supplica, um, at line 25, really does mean from the Latin to bend the knee. Okay. To be a supplicant is to be praying on your knees. That's what the word means. Okay. And I, who never burned in such a fire for my own vision, all I can I pray and hope my prayers suffice for his desire. And when we, once again, we got burning here. This is the burning fire of charity, um, not the fires of hell. And Dante is, as we remember, quite spare about putting fires in hell. You think about the bottom of the hell, we think of ice, not fire. Um, this is a fire of love. Uh, and I, I pray more for him than I pray even for myself. That by your prayers, you melt the mist away that clouds the intellects of mortal men in order to the highest bliss display himself to him. Um, there's, there are two things that um, are obstructions for the human intellect. Uh, one is that we are simply human. We are creatures. Um, that's considered earlier in the paradise as shadow. Okay. Um, then there's sin. Uh, that's like poison. Okay. Uh, the shadow of the flesh would be ours, regardless of sin. Um, our, our, uh, we are made by God to enjoy the vision of God, but that is a vision that is supernatural. Um, we're oriented towards the supernatural, but that comes to us not not merely as the fulfillment of our of our natures uh, by natural powers, but the uplifting of our nature into the nature of God. Um, also, I beg you, queen, who can do what you will, ancor ti prego, regina, che poi ciò che tu vuoi. And there we've got the, the, the thing that Virgil says three times, I think, in the Inferno, when somebody is trying to block Dante's way. Because hell doesn't want to give up its secrets. And Virgil has to pull out the trump card and say, this is willed where will is power to do whatever it wills. Okay. Dovesi poi, where you where they can, chokasi uh, boy, uh, where they can what they will. And now it's Mary. You can do what you will that his affection may remain pure after what he has seen. 
Now, this is a prayer um, for uh, Dante as a human being, as a person after the vision, that he will be preserved um, uh, from, from mortal sin afterwards. Okay. Um, let human passions yield to your protection. See, Beatrice, see how many of the blessed now fold their hands to second my intention. Um, Vede Beatrice, con quante beati, per li me preghi ti chiudan le They close their hands, they pray with me. Behold, Beatrice. The eyes beloved of God and honored best. Now, um, the eyes, okay, gli occhi. The first thing you notice about Beatrice in the Inferno are her eyes, right? Um, Don, uh, Virgil says um, she was her eyes were shining brighter than the star. Okay, and when she leaves him, she turns her eyes upon him, lagrimando. They were shining with tears. Okay, it's the eyes of Beatrice that Dante sees that look he looks into the three theological virtues at the top of Mount Purgatory. Say, We'll bring you to her eyes, right? And now we have the woman's eyes, and it's Mary's eyes, okay? Uh, fixed on the man who prayed, showed her delight in prayers that rise from a devoted breast. And then they turn to the eternal light, wherein we trust no creature else can send created vision with such perfect sight. In the eterno lume sadrit sarum, nel qual non si de creder che si per creatura locchio tanto chiaro. In the wonderful hymn, uh, Ye Watchers and Ye Holy Ones, uh, the hymn that uh, I find in a Presbyterian hymnal, um, not just in a Catholic hymnal, um, the uh, uh, Mary has a verse all to herself, okay? Um, thou bearer of the eternal word, most gracious, magnify the Lord. Thou, thou higher than the cherubim, more glorious than the seraphim, lead their praises, alleluia. Thou bearer of the eternal word, most gracious, magnify the Lord. Alleluia, 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 okay? Um, the, the idea that Mary, of all created beings, beholds God most fully, is more fully blessed with vision of God than the highest of the angels, okay? Um, that is here, all right? Uh, um, and uh, the literal word in line 44, the verb there is in thee. Uh, and it's impossible to get that across in the translation, but... Um, what we've got is something on the road, something on the way, okay? Uh, something in pilgrimage, okay? Um, St. Bonaventure, who I didn't really talk about last week, but uh, St. Bonaventure's famous work is the Itinerarium Mentis in Deum, the journey, the pilgrimage of the soul into God, okay? Well, um, the pilgrimage of the soul into God is uh, what the, the, the creature who most fully fathoms the depths of God is proceeded farthest in the pilgrimage is Mary. Okay. 
Um, and I, who now was drawing near the end of all desires, as it behooves me, to the summit let my leaping flames ascend. Bernard smiled, motioned me to turn my view upward, but I had turned it on my own. So this is the last time when uh, one of Dante's fellows um, makes a sign to him or says something to him. Here it's make a sign that he should do something. That happens throughout the Divine Comedy. Virgil has to tell Dante what to do. Beatrice has to tell Dante what to do. Bernard tells Dante what to do. Finally, he tells Dante what to do here, but he doesn't have to. Because the grace of God has beaten Bernard to the punch and Dante has already done it. Um, and from this point on, there is no more uh, need for someone to guide Dante. God is the guide from this point on, directly, without, without mediation. Um, for as my sight, uh, Bernard Smile, I had turned into my own, was doing what he wanted me to do. For as my sight grew pure and whole, alone it plumbed more and more deeply into the ray of truth, the utmost light. From this point on, whatever human language can convey must yield to vision, passing the extreme, to such great prowess memory must give way. Um, he has been saying uh, all through paradise that he's straining to put any of these things into words. Um, language buckles under the weight of such beauty and such truth. Um, now it's not, it's not simply language, it's, it's human memory itself. Okay. Um, the human memory and human language are, are related to each other. Um, they're faculties of the same unified human mind. Um, and uh, Dante is going to have to pray, not just for the ability to put some little, little bit of this into words, but even to remember little, little bit of it. Okay. Um, there is no uh, sense here, uh, at the moment here, that he, I am a great poet and I am asking you to help me write great poetry. It's rather, uh, I am a human being, a mere creature. I'm asking you to let me say anything at all. Okay. Um, as one who sees a vision in a dream, after the dream, the passion so impressed lingers, though nothing else comes back to him. So am I, for the sight is all but lost, and yet born from that vision to this day, droplets of sweet distill into my breast. Um, it's one thing to reason from premises to conclusion and to come to truth that way. It's another to see. If what you behold, is God. Um, there are no words for that. Okay? Um, Dante has gotten this. This is a long tradition, right? It goes, it goes all the way back to the church fathers. What are you going to say? It goes back to the prophets. What can I say? Uh, woe is me. I am a dead man. I have, I have looked upon the face of God. This is the prophet Isaiah. Um, 
the uh, Syrian monk who called himself Dionysius, um, the, the Areopagite, the pseudo Areopagite, in a book on the names of God, the divine names. So, you know, um, what we say about God is mainly what He is not. Uh, the names that we give Him are all going to be allegorical and provisional. Um, that's that's. That would be the case whether we had sinned or not. Uh, that is simply because of the um, because of the infinity and the, the namelessness, the essential namelessness of God. Um, so, in the sun, the snow dissolves away. Uh, that's picking up a motif that uh, Beatrice has used earlier in, in the, the Paradiso. Um, uh, she's revealing a truth to him underneath appearances and says. Um, I'm going to show you something that will reveal to you the form of the thing underneath the appearances, just as the form of water um, remains uh, after the snow has melted. Um, the underlying reality is the same. So did they lose the Sibyl's prophecy when the wind blew the weightless leaves astray. Um, that's out of Virgil. Okay. When Aeneas is going down into the underworld, he is warned. Um, he is warned uh, uh, to. Um, he's warned beforehand. When you go down, when that, uh, when you see the Sibyl, she is going to lead you down to the underworld. You have to ask her. Okay. Um, you you have to ask her to uh, sing out. Um, uh, the directions, not to, not to write them down, because uh, uh, the Sibyl's leaves will blow away at the next wind, um, and uh, Aeneas does that, right? And you know, uh, uh, this is this precedes his journey down to the underworld. Um, this is Virgil coming back with it. Virgil in an, in an odd fashion, right? Is um, Virgil himself sensed that? Poetry or writing was not enough. Summit of light that lift yourself so high above the mind of mortal man. Restore some slightest shade of your theophany and grant then to my tongue sufficient power to leave the palest flicker of your glory to readers of a later day and hour. For should something return to memory, there's the memory, and sound but faintly in my verses here, the clearer will they see your victory. Um, victory picks up a motif at the at the uh, we might call the the proem or the prologue to Paradise itself. Before Dante begins to say, "Well, here I was with Beatrice," um, he has a prayer. Uh, uh, to God, and um, he's talking about poetry, and he says, I need now both of the mountaintops of Parnassus, the two peaks, not just one. Uh, I am trying for the greatest laurel crown ever, all right? And it's a shame that people down on earth don't seek the crowns of glory for emperor and poet, Um and uh, I, I hope that what I do now will be a guide for poets to come who will be greater than I am. Now all talk of that kind of victory here is, is gone. The 
let me remember even just a little, little bit of, of what I've seen and let me write it down. Uh, it'll just be a, a flicker, like a firefly compared to the immense, the infinite light of God um, so that they can see your victory. Should I have turned my vision anywhere but to the living ray, I'd have gone blind. So piercing was the power I had to bear. Okay. Now, a crucial little line here. Um, um, Io credo per la cume che soffersi del vivo raggio, chi sarei smarito se gli occhi mei da lui fossero versi. Um, I've translated it as I'd have gone blind. Uh, it actually, uh, it's literally, I would have been lost. Right? Um, I'd been lost because I wouldn't have been able to see. All right? But that word smarito there, that picks up a word right from the first few lines of the inferno. Okay? Um, in the middle of the journey of our life, I found myself in a dark wilderness for I had wandered from the straight and true. Um, uh, que la direita via, the straight way, the true way, era smarita, was lost. Okay. Uh, and now, if I had turned anywhere but to that light, I would have been smarito. Okay. Um, thus was I bolder. This I call to mind. Literally, I was more burning. Ardito, um, to bear the mighty radiance that bloomed till my might and omnipotence were joined. Oh, over-brimming grace. Oh, abundante gracia. Straight out of St. Paul. But where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. Superabounded grace. All right. Uh, that, I believe, is from the... Uh, Epistle to the Romans, O over-brimming grace, whence I presumed to gaze upon the everlasting light, so fully that my vision was consumed. Okay. And this is another paradox. His vision is consumed, and you would say, well, that means he can't see anything. No, in this case, to have your vision be consumed means that it sees, finally it sees. Okay. Um, it's, uh, uh, that word consumsi there, they're consumed, may be picking up, uh, a word, an idea from the epistle to the Hebrews, uh, for our God is a consuming fire, right? Um, I saw the scattered elements unite, bound all with love into one book of praise in the deep ocean of the infinite. Substance and accident and all their ways as if breathed into one. And understand, my words are a weak glimmer in the haze. Kichokyo diko en semplice lume. What I can say here is like, like one beam of light. A semplice lume. What I was beholding were, it was this multitude of lights, all these various creations of God, uh, and, and uh, substance, that is, 
what a thing actually is in itself, its essence, accident. That is all the, the, the particular features of this thing rather than that thing, right? That the tree is tall, the tree is green. Uh, substance and accident on all their ways. He's looking upon not just the created world, um, as you might look upon a scene in a postcard. He's looking upon creation, right? Uh, in its, it, 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 as it is visible eternally to God. It's breathed into existence. Um, there he is clearly thinking, the word conflati there, uh, breathed into, right? Breathed to, together. He is probably thinking of Genesis, um, uh, second verse of the first chapter of Genesis. Um, and the spirit of God was breathing, was moving. The breath of God was moving upon the waters. And God said, let there be light. Um, and there was light. The universal being of this band, I think I saw, because when that is said, I feel the bliss within my heart expand. Okay. Um, one instant sees more of my memories fade than two millennia, 20 centuries, fade the bravery that made the sea god gape at Argo's shade. Um, and you've got a, a note on there. We're talking about the sailing of the ship, the Argo, to um, Colchis to retrieve the golden fleece. Dante here is the new Jason. Uh, Jason was not perhaps the most moral human being in the world. Jason is in hell with the seducers. Okay. Um, and this is not just some golden fleece. This is, this is the golden fleece this is the this is the vision that all human beings long for okay um and uh one instant causes more of my memory to fade than 2000 years caused the memory of the argonauts to fade a, a blink of an eye does more to his memory than 2000 years um that's not because he is weak in the memory it's because of what he is beholding. And so my mind suspended utterly, held its gaze still immobile and intent, and ever kindled was my wish to see. So my mind was tutta sospesa. And um, that word, okay, uh, sospesa there, that participle, that picks up a motif from Inferno Canto 2. Um, I was among the souls in limbo, says Virgil. I was among the souls who were sospesi, that is, suspended. They're hanging, so to speak, um, hanging, between, um, hanging between misery and, uh, and blessedness. In, well, we, as we would put it now, as we say, in limbo. But here, the suspension is one of wrapped delight and ardor, okay, um, held its gaze still immobile and intent. I was fissa, immobile, attenta. We have seen Dante in various places of the Divine Comedy, immobile, okay, and it was bad. Um, Dante didn't want to move. Uh, 
he didn't want to move when Virgil and he and Statius were in front of that fire. He was immobile. And if you remember, it was Virgil finally said, look, son, what's keeping you from Beatrice is this wall. Boom. Then he went. In. Okay. Um, love got him to move. Um, well, now he is immobile. Um, he is unable to move himself because he's fixed in wondrous vision, fixed by God. Before that light, one's will to turn is spent. One is so changed, it is impossible to shift the glance, for one would not consent. Um, he is in a state here that is beyond the state of uh, our father Adam. Um, Augustine very deftly uh, in Latin points out the difference. In Eden, um, Adam posse non pecare, right? He had the ability not to sin, okay? Um, in heaven, you don't, you're not in the state of posse non pecare, a state non posse pecare. You do not have the ability to sin. It is impossible for you to sin. It is impossible because your will would never consent to it, right? Um, that is that that is a grace of God. That is the the confirmation of your will oriented towards God, and the, all of the angel, angels are in the same state. Um, you would not turn. You could not turn because you would not turn, and you would not turn because every object of your desire is there, because all good the object of the will, and that's 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 by nature of what a will is. A will is that created faculty that seeks what is good, all right? Um, and now in front of the totality of good, the, 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 the ultimate object of good, the will has nowhere to turn because all good is summed in it for it alone is best, beyond defective, there, whole, perfect, still. Even for these few memories, I've confessed, my words are less than what a baby says who wets his tongue still at his mama's breast. Um, that picks up a motif we've seen already. Of course, we've been thinking about Mary, the image of a nursing mother. How does this think about Mary? Um, but uh, the, uh, the illuminator, Orisi de Gubbio, in the ring of pride in purgatory, said to Dante, as one artist to another, okay, um, what are we talking about when we're talking about earthly fame? Um, what, re what fame will be yours after a thousand years? Come on, let's be realistic here. After a thousand years, what fame will be yours that will be greater than the fame of a child who dies before he is left off saying mama and dada, okay? Uh, and a thousand years, what are they? Uh, to what are they to eternity? They're less than the blink of an eye to the revolution of Saturn. Okay, um, and, but here, here it's uh, uh, again. You know, I. What am I saying? I, I, I'm saying here. I can't say anything. In the greatest poetry of all, greatest poetry ever written, Dante is saying, "I can't write any poetry." I'm like a little baby that says that mama, 
if he says anything. Not that I saw more than a single face as I was gazing into the living glow, for it is ever as it ever was. But in my vision, winning valor so, that sole appearance, as I changed by seeing, appeared to change and form itself anew. Uh, the vision is not changing in itself. Dante is being changed. He's, he's being made more profound, right? Um, the grace of God is acting upon him so that um, it, it's not, okay, well, God decides um, here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a different form in front of you. Uh, let's see, I'll look like this now. I'll look like that. That's not happening. Um, what's happening is God staying the same. Dante changes by the power of God, and Dante is enabled to see, okay? He has already seen um, uh, the first of three great mysteries at the end of the Divine Comedy, okay? Um, the first of the three great mysteries is creation. God as creator and um, not just as the deistic watchmaker who makes a machine kicks it into being and then goes, walks off and has soda. Um, this is God as uh, creator, okay? Not just watchmaker, but creator. Um, holy and intimately, um, imminently present in the tiniest particle of creation, the tiniest uh, uh, bit of space, the quickest moment of time, fully present. Okay. Uh, his imminence is implied in his transcendence. Um, how is it that God made the world? How is it that there is such a thing as creation? What is it? He has is, he is beheld something of that mystery. Now comes the second great mystery. Okay. That God is God and creator. That's one. But now, who is God? And again, now we're really, we're really in territory that is not available to Virgil. It's not irrational, but reason can't reach it. Human beings have to be, have it revealed to them. They have to be lifted to it. Okay. Um, this is, of course, the mystery of the Trinity. But in my vision winning valor, so, right, the appearance changes because I changed within that brilliant and profoundest being of the deep light. Three rings appeared to me, three colors and one measure in their gleaming. As rainbow begets rainbow in the sky. So now think of a double rainbow. Right? So were the first two and the third, a flame that from both rainbows breathed forth equally. Uh, it's anybody who thinks that uh, medieval artists, medieval, medieval poets were all just simplistic, uh, you know, um, rather chuckle-headed. I mean, they've never read Dante. They've never read anything from the Middle Ages. Um, this is as far from anthropomorphism as it is possible to get, right? I'm looking upon the Trinity. What am I seeing? I'm seeing, I don't know what I'm seeing. I'm seeing a rainbow and a rainbow and a flame that proceeds between the rainbows. And now I have to take it back because that's not adequate either. 
to describe what I'm seeing. Alas, how feeble language is, how lame beside my thought. O quanto e corto e dire, to speak is short, it's brief, it's cut short. E fioco, and there it's um, feeble, uh, weak. Um, the word was first used when Dante looked at Virgil in Inferno 1, and Virgil seemed to him, rather peculiar thing to say, seemed to him to be hoarse from not having said anything for so long a time. And the word there is fioco. Um, well, here it is. His, his speech, Dante's speech, is fioco, but it's because they're talking about the Trinity. Uh, and for what I was shown, to call thought small would be too great a claim. It, you know, even to say what I thought, what I conceive about the Trinity there was small, that would be infinitely greater than the truth to say that it was small. Uh, it was nothing. It was nothing at all. Uh, wonderful tercet here to describe the Trinity. And in case, if you ever meet any pastor uh, or any priest who says in a sermon on Trinity Sunday, God, you know, uh, uh, it's Trinity Sunday. Uh, uh, here we are. Um, I'm not sure what I'm doing up here. Uh, so it's three, you know, relationship. Uh, come on. Um, read some poetry from your own heritage. Uh, give the parishioners what Dante has to say about it. Okay. O light, o luce terna che sol in tesidi, sol et intendi, ed a te intelletta, e intendente, tami, e ridi. O light that dwell within thyself alone, who alone know thyself, are known, and smile with love upon the knowing and the known. Um, that's the amazing apostrophe to the Trinity, an amazing word of praise to the Trinity. Um, if you, if you ask, um, if you ask why Trinity, I mean, the uh, suggestion here is, uh, is God as, as knower, right? Um, the highest faculty of, uh, of being is the, that of knowing, okay? Um, of seeing the act of intellect. Well, um, God is knower. It implies a known that is also God. But then there is the knowledge itself, and this knowledge is a knowledge of love. Um, love it is, love it is that is inspired in us created beings when we see the beautiful, when we see what is true, okay? Um, Dante has said that um, uh, the um, will is subordinate to the intellect because the intellect sees and then the will turns to it what it sees. The intellect sees the good. The will turns to it in love. Well, here, will, that is love, and intellect are in perfect co-eternal harmony. Right? Um, the Holy Spirit is the love of the knower and the known. And this love is person. Okay. Um, it, it's wonderful. 
But now we move to the culminating mystery, right? And this is really, as I say in the introduction to uh, Paradiso, this is really what the divine comedy has been about from the very first word. The divine comedy has been about Christ. Christ is the one, the key to the whole poem and is the key to human life. So he's looking at the second rainbow. That circle which appeared in my poor style, like a reflected radiance in thee, after my eyes had studied it a while, within and in its own hue, seemed to be tinted with the figure of a man. And so I gazed on it absorbedly. Um, now, I've cheated with that figure of a man in line 131. Uh, didn't, not knowing how to get across uh, Nostra Ephigia. Uh, it seemed to me painted or tinted with our effigy, um, with our figure, with our form. Um, that word Nostra, okay, is here. And it's the last time it appears in the Divine Comedy, our. Um, and it's used in a universal sense. Um, it's our form, our figure. The first time it was used in a universal sense, line one of the Divine Comedy, nel mezzo del camin di nostra vita, in the middle of the journey of our life, right? Um, our life, because every human life is the same life, is the same form. Um, well, it's, it's painted with our form. It's an, as it were, an artwork in our form. And so I gazed on it absorbedly. This culminating mystery is the mystery of the incarnation itself, right? We got creation, God as creator and his creation. We have the Trinity and now we have the incarnation. Um, and, uh, this fairly bursts the bounds of all uh, human conception. Um, it's uh, Dante now reaches for a metaphor. As a geometer struggles all he can to measure out the circle by the square, but all his cogitation cannot gain the principle he lacks. Um, this is the problem of squaring the circle. It's now been proved. They suspected that it was impossible. It, it was proved, I think, in the 19th century that it was impossible. Um, with a straight edge, without calibration, okay, so just something that allows you to draw a straight line, but not to measure, and a compass, something that allows you to draw a circle, but without to measure, okay? Can you draw a square that has the same area as a given circle, all right? And the answer to that question is no, okay? Um, you know, all these kinds of geometers struggled to do this. It, now, what we, we see here is really wonderful because the circle, um, the circle is a symbol of eternity. It has, as it were, no beginning and no end. Um, the square is as a symbol of the created and material world. It has four sides to it. There are four elements from, you know, classical thinking. Earth, air, water, fire. Okay. How is it that the eternal can be embodied in the temporal? 
the eternal be embodied in time? Um, how is it possible? Is it possible to square the circle? All his cogitation cannot gain the principle he lacks. So did I stare at this strange sight or at this new sight, this vista nova. All right. And with that word nova, which is untranslatable in English, we go all the way back to Dante's great youthful work, La Vita Nuova, the new life, the strange life. I'm looking at this new sight, this strange sight, to make the image fit the aureole and see it enter there. But mine were not the feathers for that flight. Boom. The last time this motif is used in the whole Divine Comedy. And he says, I couldn't fly there. I didn't have the feathers. Save that the truth I longed for came to me. The action is on God's side, smiting my mind like lightning flashing bright. He sees the incarnation. Here cease the powers of my high fantasy. I'm not even going to try to describe this. Poetry is over now. Where is it to go? There's no further that it can go. Already were all my will and my desires turned as a wheel in equal balance. Now pause for a second, okay? He becomes in his spiritual being, in his human being, he becomes himself like one of the spheres that revolve about God, okay? Um, his will and his intellect are in perfect balance. They've always been out of balance, but now they're in perfect balance. And he himself is like one of these heavenly rings, turned as a wheel in equal balance by the love that moves the sun and the other stars. The, the love that is um, both... Uh, shall we say, subjective and objective. That is, the love, that is, God, sets in motion, moves from within, all created being. And all created being moves with love for God. Okay? And the poem ends, Paradiso ends with the word stelle, which is how Inferno ended. And purgatory ended. Okay, so um, that's thirty-seven. A little few minutes over time. Let's take ten, um, and then it's up, up for grabs. Um, uh, what to ask me about anything? Stumble around it a little, but basically, that knowledge was gone in the in the children. That that next generation. My, my grandparents emigrated um, uh, between around 1905 and 1920, um, and uh, they worked in the grandfathers worked in coal mines. So I didn't have any Italian growing up, hmm. and it was not offered in my high school. I had German and Latin in my Catholic school. I taught it to myself. I had to. I had to. You know, I said, "I'm going to study Renaissance literature. I'm going to need to learn Italian." Um, the person who told me that I had to learn Italian, although I already had it in mind, was Robert Hollander, uh, mm -hmm. my teacher at Princeton. 
um, and also my rival in translation. Uh, but he told me, he says, you know, you do have to learn Italian. I said, I know, I know I have to learn Italian. And, uh, and I did, you know, um, well, that's interesting because my, you know, my wife, obviously she, she knew Italian, but her parents would speak to each other in Venetian dialect. So this, so oh, yeah, the, forget it. it wouldn't understand them. Forget yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a, a Venetian trying to speak in dialect to a person from Calabria, which is where my family comes from, it, it, speaking in dialect, they'd be mutually uh, incomprehensible. Yeah. Um, What's if, interesting, if, yeah, is all the Italians, though, they all kind of get on their knees to the, uh, you know, the, 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 the people from Florence, because that's the true Italian, because that's Dante's language. Yeah, well, that's what they say. The language of Tuscany and the mouth of Rome. Right? Yeah. Um, so you speak the Tuscan dialect with the Roman accent. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So here's my very specific question then. Um, there's, there seems to be, well, there's two things that are noticeably missing from the paradise. From the paradise is, uh, first of all, Dante makes very few references to Saint Paul. Saint Paul doesn't really seem to appear at all. Uh, in in I, I I missed it anyways. If he's if he's in there uh, in paradise, but then more specifically is there are two and possibly three other uh, people who uh, did bodily go into heaven. Uh, besides, uh, besides Mary, and that would be Elijah, and Moses, and pa- and, and Enoch. The, the very obscure reference in, in Genesis, you know, Enoch who walked with God and and was not be- because God took him, right? But you know, Elijah goes up on the chariot of fire. Moses, uh, who dies on earth, but his body is wrestled, you know, the uh, St. Michael and Satan wrestle over his body. St. Michael obviously takes his body to heaven. That's why his, his, his grave was never found. And that's why Moses and Elijah appear with Jesus at the transfiguration, because they are bodily in heaven. They are, they are bodily with, with the, the, the transfigured Christ. There seems to be no reference to, to no, them. Dante doesn't accept it. He doesn't accept it, so he just doesn't doesn't buy it at all. That's that's what buy it is. It. No, Mary is there, yeah. um, assumed bodily into heaven. The others, no, uh, and uh, that's underscored by his treatment of Saint John. Um, Saint Dante is really curious. Uh, did Saint John was Saint John raised bodily to heaven? Um, and that's why he stares so hard at the light coming from St. John, but he goes blind. Um, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing because John is symbolized by the eagle. Uh, the eagle was thought, I, I have told you guys this, the eagle was thought to have been able to behold the sun directly and not go blind. Um, well, uh, Dante trying to stare at St. John to see if his body is there goes blind. And John says, uh, 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 uh. my body is down on earth still. Okay. Um, and, uh, you're not going to be in trouble because Beatrice has the power to heal your blindness. Right. But while Dante is blind, he is grilled by St. John on charity, on love. And only after he passes that examination, uh, can he see again. And that's when he sees Adam, um, the, the material father of all our race, right. Ancient father, Adam, uh, that's all fascinating. Now that the comic, um, great comic poet, epic poet, 
Ariosto in uh, the early 16th century in Italian did a wonderful send up of Dante. I mean, Dante casts his shadow over everybody in Italian literature. Um, but um, there, uh, um, you, we actually meet St. John, um, who dwells not in heaven, but bodily in earthly paradise. Uh, he dwells there with Elijah. Um, and the knight who meets them has to retrieve Orlando's wits, which have flown away from him because he's crazy in love. Uh, wits fly, as we all know, to the moon. Um, so we've got somehow to get this person to the moon. So they take they take the vehicle that took Elijah, the chariot to f- fire all that. The, you know, that, that vehicle is now stationed there in the parking lot uh, up at the top of um, uh, Earthly Paradise, which is on a mountain in Ethiopia. And uh, John says, here, we'll, we'll, we'll take these wheels here and we'll, we'll get you to the moon tomorrow. Um, and you can uh, fetch Orlando's wits. They're in a bottle labeled uh, the wits of Orlando. Okay? <laughs> All kinds of vain things pile up uh, there. He's clearly jabbing at, at Dante, but uh, probably jabbing in, in, in good fun. But Dante doesn't, Dante's not going to allow it. No, only Mary. All right, that makes sense. That's a good answer. I'm satisfied. All right, but I think Dante's wrong, but I'm satisfied. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I have a question. Yes. Um, Did Did he have a like a particularly fine theological education, or because at the end he's talking about perichoresis with the Trinity? Yeah. Yeah. Uh. I mean, that's a little bit of a of, of an unknown to us. Um, I, I don't think he had any formal uh, university training. Um, that he hung around universities, that seems to be clear. But um, you know, no, uh, 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 he he belonged to the uh, middle class. Uh, he was a layman, and that the two of them together. Know, meant that you're not destined for university education. Um, you're not going to be in the clergy. Um, and but, but it did mean, right, that it was middle class. It did mean that you're going to learn to read and write and you're going to, you know, you're going to be f- fairly well read uh, as a necessity of your uh, mode of life, right? Although uh, some people in the middle class were not particularly well read. Um, St. Francis family, for instance, it seemed to be particularly well-read. Uh, but, uh, you know, in Florence, you're a guy in Dante's position, you're going to read. Um, and uh, he, being the genius that he was, he read everything he had his hands on. Um, so, uh, you know, he read Thomas. He read Thomas Aquinas through and through. Um, he read Augustine. I mean, we, we, we can get from his uh, allusions from his echoes, but also from his direct citations, the breadth of the things that he read. He, um, you know, he was fluent, of course, in Latin, um, Italian, but also in uh, some of the French dialects, such as Provençal, um, which he read fluently. Um, you know, no, it was, in that way, it's like Shakespeare, uh, although Shakespeare had this, uh, I mean, Shakespeare had to work um, at a business uh, so he read much in translation. That would be the most efficient way of getting things done. Uh, Dante didn't have the that uh, to uh, cramp his style, so to speak. So, you know, he he would read 
he didn't have to rely on translation. He read everything in Latin that he could find. Um, and that was considerable, you know? I mean, he read Anselm. Um, what was translated into Latin from the Greek uh, of Plato and Aristotle, he read. Um, you know, we were talking about one of these great geniuses of all time. But no, no, no not, uh, not much by way of formal uh, university education. Isn't that amazing when you think about it, uh, that university students right now would have a, have a really hard time reading Charles Dickens? I'll just leave that one there. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. I have a question for yeah. you, Professor. Um, well, first I want to, I, Dale said sublime, and that's the word I've been living with for weeks as we're in this. He's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Yeah, it's just I, this class. I just want to say it's been like a peak experience of my life. I've waited for so long to to study this, but I needed a Virgil. So thank you for being <laughs> our Virgil. Um, I'm going to have to go back and reread. You know now, that but... Who are you telling me I have to go now? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you can go, go to paradise. Now. <laughs> no, no, you're going to paradise. So here's my question. You know, I'm a music professor. How, what can I do? What, how, what is my part in sharing this? Because, um, besides, you know, continuing to allow God to transform me, I'm stunned. I went back and I discovered I can't find one art song that has set any of this text anywhere. Oh, that's, and I'm that, shocked. That, uh, that, that's, what, what about I opera? Found, I found, well, there's some of the Francesca da Rimini operas, and I found some symphonies by Liszt that were based on Dante, but no songs. And I'm a singer, and I teach singers. So um, I, I'm wondering if it's because the poem is so epic and so grand, I, or to take a slice of it maybe has been hard, but I was thinking maybe I could encourage young composers like that hymn at the end. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I, it has inspired hymns. Uh, it inspired other poets. Um, Chaucer, for instance, uh, reworks into English, into his middle English, the beginning of Canto 33 in paradise. Okay. Uh, that's in the Canterbury tales. Um, yeah, the. Uh... I don't know if it's because the Italians were, they were not so much song people as they were opera people, but you'd think there'd be. But they were song people too. They really were. Uh, uh, you know, uh, the po popular song tradition in Italy is really strong oh, and vibrant. Yeah. I don't know enough about it, uh, ab about, about that, uh, to be able to comment. I mean, I'm shocked. Uh, but I, 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 so I got to think that that Dante is in that area too, in in Italian um, sort of middle brow Italian culture, right? Not just uh, you know um, people who compose operas. Uh, by the way, uh, Puccini um, composed an operetta, a comic operetta, Gianni Schicchi, uh, mm -hmm. based on the career of the con artist. Um, an impersonator, Johnny Skiki, was mentioned in Inferno, uh, in Inferno, um, 
29, uh, uh, along with other imposters, counterfeiters. Um, he is the guy who, who, who counterfeited his friend's father uh, dying in his deathbed so as to uh, give a will favorable to his friend. And while he was doing it, put something in there for himself, namely a horse that he really wanted, <laughs> you know, impersonating the, the, the old man who at that point was already dead. Um, and uh, Puccini's got uh, an operetta on that. I don't know much about the operetta, but everybody here knows the most famous uh, air from that operetta, which is O Mio Babino Caro. Mm-hmm. Uh, every, if I played it to three notes, four notes, and everybody here would say, oh, yeah, I've heard. Oh yeah, yeah. So uh, you know, now you got me curious. So I, I think I'll, I think I'll try to poke around myself and see what I yeah, see. Yeah, if I if I find any, I'll send you some ideas. I've been searching, but I'd love I'd love my students to become somewhat familiar with this and not have to wait until they're as old as I am. Yeah. Uh, well, maybe you can start by familiarizing them with. Uh, uh, with Renaissance Italian love songs. Mm-hmm. There are plenty of them. Mm-hmm. Good. Okay. Thank you. Roseanne. I, I, have, I hope I'm not going too far afield, but um, I really love the, the hymn to our lady by St. Bernard. Um, and it, it clearly states that uh, no one can come to, God except through Mary, um, to my mind anyway. And that reminds yeah, me. it implies it doesn't say it outright. Well, okay? it says you want to fly it, without Mary, it's like flying without a wing. Yeah, well, that sounds pretty. Anyway, it convinced me. Um, it, it reminds me of some thoughts I've had about the divinization of believers, as it says. Apotheosis, well, yeah. That, that um, you know, in um, the beginning of the Gospel of John, you know, that he will give um, power to become sons of God to those that believe in his right. name. Yeah. And if anybody would be divinized, it would be Our Lady because she's was in total union with him through her whole life. And, and now she's bodily with him in, in a really mystical way in heaven. So mm-hmm. I was just wondering, you know, if, is that too far off? Um no, I don't think so. And, and I think we should be careful to note here that that is the uh, end, although, again, it will always be so that Mary of all created beings will fathom most deeply the divine goodness, the divine light. But um, that is the destiny uh, ordained for all human souls as their fulfillment. Um you you shall be as gods yeah, was yeah. the truth spoken by the serpent in an evil way. So it's, um, the funny thing about it is that God had already made Adam and Eve like gods and the destiny given to us um, uh, by Christ, our brother, uh, is that we shall share, right? In, in the wedding feast of the lamb, we shall be says St. John, we shall be, uh, we shall see him as he is. We shall be like him. Okay. The Eastern churches uh, talk about this theosis um, quite a lot all the time, but it's not unknown. 
um, in the Western churches and was not unknown to Dante. You can find that that strain of that kind of talk, uh, which is much more Platonic than Aristotelian in Thomas Aquinas too. In the Aristotelian Thomas Aquinas, you can find that talk. Certainly you can find it in Bonaventure. Um, This is the journey of the mind into God. Mm. Um, And when the mind journeys into God, the mind is divinized. Um, right. Yeah, something that's there. It's an important part of the paradiso. Well, that would explain why Dante and the church believe she's our mediator because she's already there and in a special relationship with him. Well, she certainly is the mediatrix in this poem because she's the created being who initiates the poem. Mm. And so divinization being that we are going to be like God as insofar as any creature can be like God, right? Um, insofar as human nature uh, can be united with God. Yeah. Yeah, but, but we were created. so Created nature, created nature, because um, to marry human nature, but um, sees more deeply into God than does the highest of the angelic beings. Well, that's why I love this class, because I'm talking to somebody that's translated this poem and loves this poem as a as a true believer, <laughs> instead of somebody writing about it as an artifact of, you know, obsolete medieval thought or something. And like they that. miss so much that way, I'm afraid. What? Now, my, my uh, former professor, Robert Hollander, uh, he didn't miss, he doesn't miss much. Uh, he's forgotten more about the Divine Comedy than I ever knew. Uh, he's um, an amazing man. He doesn't have the faith, but he wants to. Okay, And somebody who is intellectually honest and uh, just a thorough scholar and wants to have the faith, uh, well, he's, you're not going to miss much with, with him at the helm. Right? Um, I should remember to pray for him. He's uh, He's ill. Uh, he's pretty old, and and he wants to believe. And Dorothy Sayers had an Anglican uh, belief, I guess, in uh, the mysteries yeah. that are portrayed, right? And yeah. Um, yeah, in the comedy. Did anybody uh, have uh, questions about the salvation of pagans that I promised we would talk about in, uh, <laughs> and we haven't? Yes, I do. <laughs> Um, but so does Jane. So if Jane has a question already lined up, but um, hey, go ahead. I'll go next. Oh, okay. Um, well, yeah, I yeah. What's up with the pagans, right? Um, they, there's there's um, a question also with regards to limbo. Then I guess right. If certain pagans are allowed to be resurrected by the grace of God to confess the faith, why can't others? Or I suppose you know if. Beatrice says that she will sing the name of Virgil for eternity in heaven. Does that imply some future salvation of Virgil? It doesn't imply it, but it might suggest a hope, suggest a possibility. I don't know that it implies it. Um, And uh, uh, we should be precise in our terminology. The uh, soul of Trajan, Trajan was resuscitated, right? He was revived. Um, not resurrected. And uh, uh, so he got that 
he got that second chance. There's no sense that um, the 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 uh, souls, the separated souls, separated from the body, are given a second chance. Okay, uh, that's not here in Dante. It is in Lewis's work, The Great Divorce. Okay, um, but uh, and that's a fascinating work. I mean, you can read it in an hour and a half. Wonderful, wonderful work. Um, the 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 most mysterious uh, instance of salvation in the whole poem, for me, is that of Rithius, the Trojan. And this is uh, part of uh, Cano's 19 and 20. Um, Cano, I'm getting my Cano's mixed up, uh, where uh, the eagle of justice speaks corporately to Dante. And um, tries to and, and, and tries to, but answers Dante's question: What do we do with that man on the banks of the Indus River? Never heard of Christ. Nobody's gone there to preach. Okay, where is uh, his fault if he does not believe? What justice is it that condemns the man? Okay, and the eagle, the eagle's first response is a negative one. Okay. Um, that is, he he rules the question out. Um, there is not this independent goodness in man that God is um, uh, required to respond to. God brings whatever goodness there is in man into being. Okay, um, it's the grace of God that permits anybody to be good at all. Um, and so we can't say, well, let's suppose that there's this person over here who has, as it were, a kind of independent goodness. Doesn't God have to respect that goodness? Um, so the eagle basically responds by saying that that's a false question. Okay. Um, and he responds rather as does the voice of God from the whirlwind, um, at the end of the book of Job, who are you to ask this question? Um, you are like somebody trying to guess what's at the bottom of the sea when you're just standing on the shore and you can barely see the bottom four feet away, okay? And yet there is a bottom to the sea, but you can't perceive it, all right? Uh, who are you to judge on your bench there? You can't see farther than a span ahead of you. You're going to plumb the eternal wisdom? And he goes on to say, whatever uh, you may think about those who have never heard of Christ, they will be closer to Christ, perhaps, than will those souls who have heard of him and who have not followed his commandments. Okay, The Ethiopian will stand up at the resurrection and condemn the man who did have the Christian revelation preached to him and didn't follow it. Um, and Dante seems satisfied with this reply. And we it seems to us that that's all the reply that we're going to get, and it'll have to do. Uh, but the real reply to the question comes in the next cano when the, uh, the eagle identifies the souls that form the eye of the constellation of the eagle. So those are the most blessed of all. Of all the souls in this sphere, the souls of the just rulers, 
Um, David is in the pupil of the eye. Uh, he's David as the David who sang in humility before the Ark of the Covenant, right? Um, and every time the eagle identifies a soul, I actually should go there because uh, it's fascinating what Dante does. Um, the, there is something ironic, something unexpected, uh, wondrous about what happens or about the description of each of the souls, right? Um, he in the center as the pupil gleams who was the singer of the Holy Spirit, the king who moved the ark from house to house. Now does he understand his songs have merit insofar as they spring from his own will by the concordant blessings they inherit. So the eagle who has said in the previous canto, that God in his goodness brings into very existence itself whatever goodness a human being possesses, now says that the songs of David have merit according to David's will because God rewards that will, all right? Now, God is, of course, the one by whose, by whose grace David had that will, but God rewards the will. Because it's not David acting as mere uh, inanimate puppet in the hands of God. This is a willing and loving human being responding in gratitude to the grace of God. And God rewards. Okay. His songs have merit. And this is paradoxical. This is mind-blowing, actually. It's presented as something that you would not be able to say. Okay. Um, if you start from the premise, God brings all good into being in the first place, all right? Um, the spirit who stands nearest to my bill of the five in the ring that forms the brow consoled the widow with the murdered son. And once again, we have Trajan next to David, as we did in those pictures, those speaking sculptures in purgatory, okay? Um, Where are you? This is Where in Canto 20. Of paradise. So I'm looking at my page 215. All right. And uh, the, the widow with a murdered son is, you know, vaguely reminiscent of Mary herself. Now does he understand what debt you owe not following Christ by the experience of this sweet life and the opposite below? He was taken from limbo. He's had experience of both. That's Trajan. The following soul in this circumference, where the arch rises, gained a long delay and stayed his death by genuine penitence. Now does he understand, when just men pray, eternal judgment does not change, deferring until tomorrow what's decreed today. That's Hezekiah, who was going to die, and he prayed God for an extension to his life, and he was granted another 15 years. Um, the canticle of Hezekiah is echoed in the very first line of the Divine Comedy. Um, in the middle of my days, I went down to the gates of hell. Um, in the middle of the journey of our life, says Dante. That's from that canticle. Um, and the whole idea of, uh, it's paradoxical. It was a problem for the pagans. It's a problem for Virgil in the Aeneid. Uh, how is it possible if there is an eternal plan? Um, how is it possible for prayer to have any effect at all? 
the plan doesn't change. And prayer is effectual. Um, both things are true simultaneously. And Hezekiah now sees that. The next soul bore me off with all the laws and made us Greek to grant the shepherd, Rome, a good intent that sprouted up bad fruit. Now does he understand the plagues that come from his good deed will never harm his soul, even should they destroy all Christendom. That's Constantine. Constantine, according to Dante, did wrong taking uh, the seat of the empire out east to Byzantium, then named Constantinople, okay? Um, and granted, uh, supposedly granted temporal authority to the Bishop of Rome uh, to govern things back there. Um, that was a bad thing to do, but he did it with good intent. And even if that bad deed destroys all Christendom, it will not diminish one bit of Constantine's blessedness, right? Um, then there comes this William the Good, king of Sicily. Uh, he's a king with rotten sons. Now he understands how much God does love a just ruler, even one with rotten sons. And then finally, the eagle alters his mode of presentation as if to underscore this one now is really special. Who would believe, down in the world that errs, that Riffius the Trojan in this round would be the fifth among the holy flares? Far more he understands of grace divine than all the world can see, although his eye can still not plumb the depth of the profound. Now, this Riffius was you know, barely a passing mention in Virgil's Aeneid, in book two of the Aeneid, uh, which, in which Aeneas describes for Dido, the, the burning of Troy, the downfall of the city, that terrible night when the Greeks storm got out of that Trojan horse and burnt the city to the ground. Riffius the Trojan was out that, that night as one of the last defenders of the city. It was said of him that he loved justice better than anybody else in Troy. But the gods saw it otherwise, says Virgil, sarcastically. And now Dante is revising Virgil. Yeah, he loved justice. He loved righteousness. And God saw it. Okay. Now, um, we can kind of gather the business about Trajan. Trajan is resuscitated and he actually hears um, Gregory the Great preaching to him. But this Riffius, this is, this is beyond understanding, right? He's a parent pagan. Uh, and the eagle says, um, if you turn to page 219, uh, I see that you don't understand these things. Well, let me try to show them to you. Um, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence from living hope and burning charity that overcome the will of the divine. But the divine wills to be overcome. Okay? Not as a man will overcome a man. The divine wins because it would be one, and one it wins with its benignity. The first and fifth lives, as Trajan and um, Riffius of the eyebrow, stun your eyes with wonder, for that you see the seed of angels here embellished with their souls. They did not leave their bodies, as you suppose, Gentiles, but Christians of firm faith, 
each one believing in the suffering of those feet to come or having passed. To flesh and bone, the one returned from never repenting hell. And that was the reward of living hope, of living hope with power to impel prayers to God that he might rise once more and live and so be moved to willing well. Return unto his flesh the briefest hour, the glorious spirit I've been speaking of, believed in him and sought his help and power. And in believing, kindled into love so true, the second time he fell asleep, he merited his coming to this joy. But this one is the most, more mysterious of the two, because we are given absolutely no details. By grace that showers from a spring so deep, no creature's sight can penetrate into its first upwelling wave. The other soul placed all his love in righteousness below, for which grace upon grace, that's from John chapter one, God raised his eye and showed him our redemption yet to come. What the content of this vision is, we are not told. And he believed in it. And from that day, he could not bear the stink of paganism. And he reproached the people gone awry. Those ladies were his sponsors at baptism. The three at the right wheel of the chariot. A thousand years before the Baptist came. A thousand years before John the Baptist. This man was baptized. And his three sponsors were faith, hope, and charity. What that even means, we have no idea. Don Jesus puts it out there for us. What he saw, we're not told. Evidently, he saw the need for a mediator, the need for a redeemer in Christ. There's one God and sinful man, and he needs a redeemer. Um, the content of this revelation, Dante leaves deliberately and tantalizingly unclear. And it's important that he does. Oh, predestination, how remote your root is from those sites that cannot see the fullness of the primal cause. And you mortals withhold your judgment. Even we who see the face of God do not yet know the number chosen from eternity. And it is sweet, such lack in what we know. Because in this good is our good made fine. That what the Lord may will we too will so. And then we get this amazing simile at, at the end that's rather like the amazing simile at the end of Canto 10 with the tower clock ringing the hours. So was I given soothing medicine to clear the haze from vision all too near by that bright icon, seal of the divine. And as an expert hand on the guitar follows the singer with a trembling chord lending a greater pleasure to the air. So while the eagle spoke, I can recall those two blessed gleams of light that I could see flashing their happy flames at every word, like eyes that blink in perfect harmony. So you have the two lights, and they're like eyes that blink, okay? And they're flashing, which is like a, a, a accompaniment to a song on a a guitar. But if you think about the action of blinking, it's associated both with what you see and what you do not see. Right? It's perfect. And so there the door is open 
Okay. Um, now it doesn't matter. I used to tell my students whether the door is open to crack or it's thrown wide open. The difference is between being shut and being open. That's the crucial difference. Okay. Um, and the door is not shut, but that's as far as we can go here. Okay. Whatever else there is, we have to leave to the grace and the goodness of God and the providence of God. Uh, it, I think, would be wrong to speculate too far in this, to presume to say whom God will save and whom he will not save. Okay. Um, of those who are not baptized with water uh, into the Christian church. Um, this man had baptism a thousand years before there was baptism. But I don't think it's supposed to make us confident so that we don't evangelize. Uh, the door is open. It's not shut. Um, it's wonderful, isn't it? It's totally stunning, Canto. I used to try to get my students back at Providence College to understand how beautiful this camper was. And, you know, it was, it was like, uh, um, no, a lot of them were good kids, but this one, they didn't, they never got, they never got. My, my students now at Magdalene College are completely different. Okay. I got to do this canto for them and they'd like fall in love. And, and I get, I'll get emails uh, next day of some, of some kid trying to write a poem inspired by this, you know, like, that's what they're like. Um, it's wonderful though. Riffius the Troj. And it's important that it's a figure from Virgil's poem. The Virgil is still in his mind. Sorry, that took quite a long time to answer, but um, I, I thought I'd give it its best shot there. So beautiful. Um, more questions. Yeah, I just had a quick question that I've been actually wanting to ask for a while, um, okay. but I was a little too shy. Um, thanks for doing this class. It's been like it's a lot of information. And um, so I'm probably asking a question from a while ago, but you, you said something in one of the earlier lectures about Dante viewing Troy as kind of the source of all pride. Um, or, Not the um, source, but the best emblem of it. Okay. Right? Yeah. So my question would be, how did Dante or people in Dante's time view Troy historically? Like, would they have looked at it as something that actually happened or purely myth or maybe a combination of both? Uh, no, they took the... Uh, well, obviously, the, uh, you know, the pagan god furniture that surrounds Troy, that, you know, that's mythology. Um, but the, uh, that there was a city, Troy, there was no doubt. Um, and that it was destroyed, there was no doubt. Okay. Uh, and they also believed that there were certain personages who came from Troy who were real historical figures like Aeneas, for instance. Uh, they they trusted in the veracity of the, the whole history, um, and uh, you know, in large part, that's been been vindicated. Um, what the heck is the guy's name? It's, flew, it's flown out of my head. The guy who, uh, in the early twentieth century, I believe, Henrik Schliemann. Schliemann, yeah. 
um, uncovered the ruins of Troy, okay, um, in roughly the place where we expected that Troy would be. Um, and uh, something of the uh, something of the Homeric epics uh, and the business of Helen belonging to Troy, but not really belonging to Troy. I mean, this is a kind of poetic, it enters the poetic, the mythic imagination of the Greeks. Um, but the Mycenaeans uh, were traders and also marauders. And the, uh, the poetry that comes out of the Trojan War is like a cultural memory of a really good raid um, uh, against this place uh, across the Aegean and Asia Minor. Um, yeah, and, and other sorts of things entered the Western imagination from it. So, so somehow it got into the uh, imagination of Europeans, especially Northern Europeans, that um, uh, one of the refugees from uh, Troy made his way all the way to Britain, okay? um, so that Britain itself uh, descended from the Trojans and London was founded as a new Troy. Okay. Uh, and this is still all over the place in uh, Renaissance poetry and in the Elizabethan times, you know, um, uh, we're the new Troy. Of course, it, 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 naming something Troy, you're always, you're always um, have in the back of your mind, this can become another emblem of human arrogance and it can be destroyed. Um, the poet of Sir Gawain in the Green Knight uh, begins so to speak, accidentally, but no, really, he has got everything all planned um, with a reference to this uh, fellow Brutus who came from Troy and founded Britain, after his name, right, um, on this island um, after Troy was destroyed, okay? Um, and that is referred to at the very beginning of the poem and the very end of the poem, and uh, what's in the middle of the poem, you know, the poem is set in the time of King Arthur um, and the round table. And behind that is the knowledge in the audience of the poem that that too is going to be destroyed. Okay. Uh, the round table is going to be destroyed. Um, you know, putting things in the context of Troy is always going to be problematic. But they, they accepted it as historical fact. We got time for, since I went overboard there, uh, we got time for a couple more questions. Two more questions. Uh, Professor, I have oh. uh, one if I could. Yeah. Uh, so back in uh, Cantos uh, 24 to 26, we have uh, Peter, James, and John in places, those three examiners on faith, hope, and love. And I, I suppose as a, a teacher, I should be unsurprised if, if a little worried that there's a quiz uh, but is 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 Dante suggesting that we all have to uh, answer that, or was that you know unique to uh, Dante's situation? You know, being how he was there, uh, or, or really, I guess I just want to give you an opening to say whatever more you'd, you'd like to on, on that section. I'm kind of interested in the examinations. Peter suggests. Peter suggests that there will be a quiz, right? Uh, now it's time, good Christian man, to show us that you really are a good Christian man. So, what's faith? Um, uh, the, the biggest grilling comes from Peter. What's faith? 
Okay. Um, what's faith? Why do you believe what you believe? Well, it comes from the New and the Old Testament. Why do you believe them? Well, there are miracles in them. Why do you believe the miracles? Um, you don't want to argue in a circle here. They, you're calling to witness the very texts that present you the miracles. Uh, what if they're not reliable? Well, but the greatest miracle of all was that there should be a Christendom. Okay. All right. Okay, then fine. You've defined faith. You've given good reason for having a faith. Now tell us, what do you in fact believe? And Dante begins, Yo credo in uno di you. And that's straight from the Mass. Credo in unum deum. Um, wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Then he, you know, the, the grilling after that is, is, is not nearly as hard. Um, by James on hope and by John, appropriately by John on charity. Uh, I love it though, you know. Um, <laughs> it's, we get the university here. Okay, guy, you want your bachelor's degree. Hmm? All right. Let's throw some questions at you. How about this one? What is faith? Uh, okay, well, um, as your brother Paul said, faith is the, uh, the substance of things hoped for. Um, right? And the argument of things not come to light. This is its essence, as I understand. That's from Hebrews. Um, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Yeah. Uh, isn't that great, though? An examination. But you're going to pass. Nobody's going to fail at an examination. Right, because you're already there. So. Yeah, you're already there. And, and uh, you want to say, okay, well, now it's my turn to show uh, that I belong here. Um, <laughs> let those questions come. And Beatrice is encouraging. Come on, pal, you know these. <laughs> uh, another question. One more question. Uh, just a quick one about um, teaching these books. Would okay. it be like a sacrilege to only do one as opposed to all three. I mean, it is, it's a, it's almost a crime. This is the second time I've read through this with another, and I have your videos and stuff like that, but it's just not long enough. You know, I mean, two weeks on paradise is not, is, I know, I, I know. what can you do? And then if you're going to teach it in a class, you know, you have all, you, you could take all year on it, obviously. So yeah. would it be in your opinion, like wrong to do, say just the purgatory, I wouldn't do just hell, put it that way. I would put, I would think I would do purgatory or paradise. Yeah, I think we got a problem, okay? Because um, you know what it'd be like? Uh, it'd be like, uh, well, it would be like a little like watching the first two acts of um, a Shakespearean play, right? And perhaps that's not a good analogy because the Inferno is a coherent work of art, but it's a work of art that is radically incomplete. Um, I mean, as you see what Dante is doing, is not just moving from one place to another, but everything that he has set up in Inferno receives amplification or clarification in Purgatorio and then is meant to come to its consummation in Paradise. Um, so that you don't really understand what you've been doing in Inferno until you've gone all the way through the whole poem. Uh, maybe it would be a little bit like 
if you're looking at a rose window uh, in one of the cathedrals, um, saying, okay, well, we're going to concentrate on uh, this quadrant of the rose window. And well, but that quadrant of the rose window in very large part means what it means by relation to the other quadrants. Um, so that you don't really understand the part until you've got some grasp upon the whole. Um, but the, 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 the business of Satan with the three heads at the bottom of Inferno encased in ice, right? Um, you only understand that fully when you've looked upon the Trinity uh, at the end of paradise. Um, so I, I would, I, you know, I, yeah, and you know what it may be like, you know what it may be like, maybe the, a better analogy would be, you've got Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, or Ninth Symphony. You've got the Ninth Symphony, okay? The one with the great ode to joy that ends everything. Um, it would be like listening to the first movement. And it's great. First movement is great. If you compose nothing but that first movement, then people would say, hey, wow, what a great piece of music. But the first movement is recapitulated and changed in movements two, three, and four, right? So uh, you, you really don't understand that first movement until you've heard the whole. So I would say, try not to do that. Um, but that requires more time. So I don't know. <laughs> um, and that means, you know, it, you can't do you can't do everything with that patience and depth because you don't have the time for it that you would like. Uh, but I'd rather have them read the whole divine comedy. Um, I, I can see the point of view though. Yeah. Well, uh, we got a question from Daniel. We do not have a question from. I thought we had a question from Daniel. Um, yeah. Okay. So, uh, well, guys, I think it's time for me to sign off. My, my wife is waiting for me. Jasper is waiting for me. Uh, he's, I'll say something now that will get him going. And I won't even know what it is, but it'll be a sign that the class is over. He'll get up. I'll turn around and the dog will already be up. He's lying there sleeping at the moment. But it's been great to be with you guys. It really has been. Um, and I hope, uh, I hope we'll do something like this again and god bless you all. god bless your families remember our college magdalen college and um uh well, I'll, I'll see you thank you thank you thank you so much thank you for more of that or to become a fellow today visit magnusinstitute.org copyright 2021 albertus magnus institute incorporated all rights reserved